0: Hi, I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today for another empowering hour. I can promise you this. By the end of this hour, you will know information you did not know that can help you live a longer life, make more reasoned and appropriate positive judgments, how to find solutions to our problems across a wide spectrum. For example, if you are a man and you're running into some trouble identifying what does it mean today, in this particular time, in a woke society that criticizes male masculinity as being toxic, no matter what you are as a person. You can be gentle, kind, thoughtful. You can care about all other genders. and But no, you're toxic. How do you deal with that? How do you not be toxic if you were? We're going to deal with that. Now, there's a lot I don't care for about Jordan Peterson. He denies climate change. Uh, He uh, He's a person that, in areas other than his expertise, like when he's talking about Marxism, I consider him a historical illiterate. But when he talks about human nature, when he talks about the psychology of being, he's one of the brightest minds anywhere. As long as he sticks to that area... So he stuck with that area. Now, I'm going to share share that with you. Also, sometimes people say, well, Gary, that person's conservative. Why would you allow him on the pro? In fact, I was actually brought into the the office of the manager, WBI, years ago when people were offended. I actually did a show on airplane safety. And the person who wrote the book on it, who I had as a guest, was conservative. You can't do that. Yeah, I can, and I will do it. I'm not going to allow censorship because of your ideology that only people who are liberal are allowed on Pacifica. That's nonsense. That's never the way it was or meant to be. Censorship is everywhere today, and it's unfortunate. You have to be on the right side of thinking. So we're going to talk about that. And if someone has the truth on their side, even if I disagree with them on a lot of other issues, like... I've had segments a few times of Tucker Carlson. I disagree with him on a lot of issues, but he's on the right side when he invites Naomi Wolf, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Matt Taibbi, and uh, The Gray Zone, and other people on who are very liberal and telling the truth. And the liberal media has censored them, erased them, tried to destroy them, and yet, Just think of up until about two years ago, you could find Chris Hedges, Jonathan Turley, one of the greatest constitutional lawyers, very liberal, on almost every night on Keith Oberman and other shows. Today, they're persona non grata. They did not go along with the group thing. So, I'm one of those people who I'm not going to judge you based upon your politics, or your religion, or your sexual orientation. I'm simply going to say... Do you have a truth that we need to hear? And if so, I'm going to provide you a form on that issue, not on the other issues. So we're going to talk about this today. We're going to hear a debate between Cuomo, Chris Cuomo on CNN, who is rabidly pro-woke culture, identity, politics, and has gone along with D'Angelo's racist screed, on uh, white fragility, which so many people have pushed as if it's legitimate. It is not. In my opinion, she has written the second most deadly book published in that, besides Mein Kampf, Hitler's 1925 book, that was the beginning of identifying a group of people based upon their ethnicity as being a danger to society and therefore justification of destroying them. And right now, That's happening in schools. They say, ''Oh, we don't teach this in classes in Virginia. We don't teach it.'' So we go up on the Department of Education for Virginia, and there it is, in class after class after class, and book after book after book. So it's spawning all this, and they're lying about it. He's one of them. And I just consider he and all the other people on CNN as the problem. I've invited them to debate me. I'd like to debate them on these issues. So the new anti-fascism is pro-fascist, the new anti-racism is the new racism, the new wokeness is not woke at all. It is in a deep sleep from the truth. So we're going to share that with you today. Also today, um, Iverson on uh, another network, who's very liberal, is calling out Joe Biden's program, excuse me, to hire over 86,000 new IRS agents. Why? Well, they want to make sure that if you have any deposits or expenditures in exceeding $600 a year, that would mean everyone who has a bank account, then you should be audited because you're hiding money someplace and the new IRS will take no prisoners. They'll squeeze you. They'll punish you. That's the mandate. That's what's being stated instead of looking at the $780-plus hundred military military-industrial budget or the security budget and saying, these are just a waste, let's pay for our expenditures from that. Oh no, those are sacred. Can't touch that. That's for our war industry and all the corporations. So we're going to deal with this. Time permitting, I'm also going to deal with how they decided to take John F. Kennedy when he was a senator, and attack him, make him out to be a terrorist, a domestic terrorist. Yes, this is a story you have not heard. This is something brand new, a real lesson in history of politics and how they end up deciding to kill him. So that's our show. We start with a uh, a study out of the University of Naples in Italy. Sorry, I'm a little uh, hoarse. I've been doing a lot of uh, lectures. And and by the way, if you did not watch last night's progressive commentary hour with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., I only asked him three questions. He spent the entire 55 minutes answering. And this is information nobody knew. This is brand new. You've got to see it, and you've got to share it. Share it with everyone you know. This has got to get out. Because... They're going after him in a big way. Facebook, Twitter, Google, uh, Wikipedia, they're all both censoring him and attacking him. All the media is attacking him. And he was grateful for the fact that we gave him a form. And by the way, Robert Kennedy and I, as he said at the end of the program, we have a long history of working together and cooperating on projects. I just never bring who I cooperate with to the public attention. But he chose to say that and we have some lawsuits that we are in the midst of filing, uh, and you'll hear about that in the near future. But he was telling us about how everything happening with COVID, and I mean everything happening with COVID, was pre-planned. Now, you can say, well, that's just a conspiracy theory, because everyone says, that's just a conspiracy theory. Think so? Think that... He would risk his reputation when he has an entire team of lawyers working for him, verifying every single fact. Did you know that that, that that, that just coincidental, they did this run-through mock uh, pandemic exercise that Bill Gates sponsored and Anthony Fauci headed just months before COVID, that they had done that dozens of times over the last 20 years? Did you know that? And who was involved? And why was the CIA a part of it? CIA has nothing to do with national health, or even national crisis. They're engaged, as Robert said, in, in destabilizing government assassinations, but they were in it. So you're going to hear a story that you did not know that tells you the truth about why you should be pushing back and saying no, on all the different mandates and the different quarantines, etc. But go to GaryNall.com or PRN.fm, and you'll see the Zoom uh, video and hear his discussion and share it with everyone. Anyhow, so we have this study out of Italy. And uh, they did a double-line study, by the way. And it was published in Biomedicine and Pharmotherapy, and it shows that people with uh, with moderate to severe joint pain and neuropathic pain and muscle pain were able to find substantial relief with 800 milligrams of alpha-lipoic acid a day, or a placebo. The placebo did not relieve the pain, but alpha-lipoic acid does. Now, alpha-lipoic acid just happens to be one of those wonderful nutrients because it's one well, of the few nutrients that works inside the cells, and antioxidant, to trap free radicals, and works outside the cells. Now, just to give you an idea, let's just say that I go out for a workout, which I did earlier this morning, and I put in some hard work as I'm training for the state championships coming up in about three weeks. And I finished. Now, I've created a lot of free radicals because just breathing that. <sighs> the inhale of oxygen and the exhale of carbon dioxide, that gap in between the one and the other creates oxidative stress. The oxidative stress from normal living creates free radicals. Free radicals create inflammation, and they start to create other inflammatory agents, tumor necrosis factor alpha and uh, the interferons. Well, that then starts to create pain and with pain comes swelling. And the lactic acid starts to build up in the muscles, and that creates additional pain. And then you can end up having it so severe, you can have a cytokine storm. And that's what happens at the end stage of COVID. in the lungs in particular, it's not the virus at that point that's killing you, it's the inflammatory and bacterial uh, oxygen factors of the high level of oxidative stress. And you literally uh, have your lungs no longer able to create oxygen. So, alpha-lipoic acid works inside the cell, trapping the free radicals, and outside the cell. And it loops around the body many, many times. And if you take vitamin C and vitamin E with alpha-lipoic acid, you get more loops throughout the body. So, vitamin C attaches to a free radical and neutralizes it. Alpha-lipoic acid attaches to a free radical and neutralizes it. Unpaired electrons, boom, they come together, neutralize so, the more antioxidants you have in your system, the less free radical activity, and it's the free radicals that ages. So, that's just a good study, and it's a peer-reviewed study in a published journal, and it's a double-blind, placebo controlled There's a new study out showing that energy medicine, including Tai Chi, and meditation, and positive affirmations, and prayer, can all benefit your immune system. And one one that we don't use in the United States, but is used elsewhere, is called Qigong. Q-I-G-O-N-G. Now, there are hundreds of articles in the peer reviewed literature showing that there's a scientific basis to these techniques. Now, I filmed a person, a master of Qigong, a gentleman from China down in Chinatown, and we had a person in. He didn't know anything about the person, and the person had a severe problems with the back and with pain from an injury, and the person's only help was with medication, and he was taking very high doses of opiates, oxycontin, for example, and that's dangerous. That can lead to addiction, and it can also kill you. So, he not knowing anything, and no one on the camera crew knowing anything, just myself, not even my frontline producer, knew what the person was suffering from. So, he had him lay on a table, not touching the person, he was rubbing his hands, and then he moved his hands about a foot above the person's body. And what was interesting is, suddenly, uh, Michael said, uh, ''I feel heat! A lot of heat, like something's burning my back. And he kept his hands just in one space, the Qiang master. And that's exactly where the problem was. And this went on for about five minutes. Now, he can do this anywhere in the body. If you have a problem, it can rebalance the energy and lead to healing. Now, this is commonly used all over the Orient, not here. I just wanted to add that in to, your, to the quivers that you can use in your, uh, let's say, therapeutic uh, modalities, Qigong, Q-I-G-O-N-G. And uh, it will help if you get the right person, someone who's experienced and someone who's done it. And so, just one more type of uh, energy healing that's out there. Also, a study from McMaster's University, which is in Ontario, talks about stress and Crohn's disease flare-ups. Now, working with many people with Crohn's disease, thousands over my decades of therapy, helping people, I've always found a connection between a person's distress level, because normal stress won't do it. In fact, we need normal stress. The excitement of going to a concert, that's stress, but a good stress. The uh, joy of being with someone that we enjoy being with, and sharing passion, and pleasure, and creativity, and love, that's a positive stress. You're excited. Your biochemistry functions at a different level. The really exciting hormones in the brain, like the endorphins and the dopamine hits, You feel good, you feel excitement, you feel passion, you feel pleasure. That's a form of stress, but it's all good. Now, Dr. Hans Selye, the father of distress therapy, the person who brought this to our attention, how many of you are old enough to remember my programs on WMCA and before that on Balkan Echo Studios, WHBI, way back in 1996? And I was interviewing him all the time because the audience never heard of this before. We thought all stress was the same, and we didn't know how bad stress was, and we always thought, you'll get over your stress. But we didn't realize you don't get over the consequences of what stress can do. It can literally cause heart disease. It can cause brain disease. It can cause neurological disease. It can cause inflammation throughout the body. You can actually cause inflammation to the arteries and the hearts around the arteries. That's how dangerous stress is. Now, mind you, when you're stressed, emotionally, more often than not, you go into panic mode, uh, high levels of anxiety. And think of the people that stay perpetually in dramas or crisis. They're stressed constantly. It's like, he said this, he said it's like turning on a five-alarm fire in your brain and it doesn't turn off. You just adapt to it. Well, that's maladaptation, and that will shorten your life. Absolutely. So it's important to understand that there's a link between your psychological stress and body systems being adversely affected, in this case, Crohn's disease. So when people have diverticulitis, spastic colon, irritable bowel syndrome, and Crohn's disease, among other itises and problems with digestion and GERD, it can be due to stress. It can be due also to caffeine. It can be due to high acidic foods. It can be due to eating fried foods. All that can also cause it. But stress is really big in causing flare-ups. And that's what this research showed. And what happens is that the model found the stress hormones suppress the innate immune system that normally protects the gut from invasive um, consequences, and uh, these, and particularly bacteria. These are called entero, E-N-T-E-R-O, bacteria. And uh, that's a group of bacteria, including E. coli, which has been linked to Crohn's disease. So, if you get stressed in a negative way, distress, which is harmful in raising cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, called catecholamine levels, that's bad if you're stressed in a positive way, happiness, joy, the excitement of of going out on a blind date, all that's good for your immune system, and it's good for your brain. But now, differentiate, and if you feel that you're distressed, you can end up having all kinds of problems, irregular heartbeat, uh, causing depression and anxiety. And that means you should get the type of humanistic, holistic, Non invasive, non pharmacological approach, which exists deep meditation, tapping therapy, um, all types of translational therapies. So we have that with us now. And finally, there was a meta, meaning many, studies that found the benefits of dietary supplements among breast cancer patients. And this is from Highland University in South Korea. What they found was that, and this was published in Cancers, um, they found that the association between improved breast cancer prognosis and the intake of multiple vitamins and other nutrients. There were 63 separate studies that were evaluated, and they found that a plant-based diet and lots of vitamin C, that's important, and B-complex. And I would add in there, very important, your cruciferous vegetables, indole 3 carbonyl, carbonyl, definitely every day, and alpha-lipoic acid also, uh, and modified citrus pectin, very important for breast cancer prevention or treatment, and uh, lots of broccoli and broccoli sprouts. They worked with 120,167 breast cancer patients. So just one more thing that we can do and try to keep all the cell phones, because if you, some women actually put their cell phones for convenience uh, in in their brawl, carried around, young people, <clears throat> that's really dangerous. That's pulsing, electromagnetic pulses right into the breast tissue, and you don't want that. And this is from the University of California, San Francisco, and it talks about physical activity, that's your exercise, improving al- Alzheimer's. Now, we've done about five studies in the last week brought to you, showing you exercise helps with dementia and diseases and cancer. And this is just one more. It can improve the outcome by lowering brain inflammation. Now, no one will disagree that an active lifestyle is good for you. But it remains unclear how physical activity improves brain health, particularly in Alzheimer's disease. But the benefits are there. So, if you exercise every day, you will improve the conditions by lessening the advancement of Alzheimer's. This was published in the Journal of Neuroscience. Oh, and by the way, every year I go twice a year for my cardiovascular stress test. I've done this for decades. And they put you on a treadmill, and they stress you, and then they take uh, take readings. And almost everyone says the same thing make sure that you get statins, and make sure that you take aspirin every day, because aspirin will thin the blood and prevent strokes. And my response is, I appreciate your concern, but I will not take aspirin, and I will not take statins. I will take coenzyme Q10 twice a day. I will take magnesium twice a day. I will take calcium twice a day. I will take cayenne once a day. I'll take potassium once a day. I'll also take other nutrients like L-carnitine twice a day, once in the morning and once before I go to bed, and melatonin, because all of these are known and proven, along with vitamin E and vitamin C, to thin the blood naturally, far better than aspirin, and safely. They're also antioxidants. They protect against free radicals, which lead to inflammation. They protect against clotting, which leads to stroke and they strengthen the heart. They oxygenate the blood. So, mine protect me against stroke and heart attacks. But your aspirin will also destroy vitamin C, B12, B6, and folic acid. And why is that important? Because if you read your nutritional biochemistry journals, you would know that that is Set of nutrients B12, B6, vitamin C, and folic acid suppress the of uh, the very very deadly um, anti or pro inflammatory measure within the bod- body, and that's important. We have C-reactive protein, we have homocysteine, and we have fibrinogen. Well, it is. It is the combination of those three, when they're elevated, that can lead to heart attacks and strokes, even cancer, as much as the two or 300 degree. You start getting your homocysteine up around, let's say, 14, 15, 16 in a measurement. That's, that's a red flag, and yet it's silent. You can't feel it. You can't see it. These are hormones in the body. So you take an aspirin. You may have reduced somewhat your chance of a stroke. You've increased your risk of a heart attack. This is the insanity of orthodox medicine and cardiology. But here's the latest. This is from the University of Freiburg in Germany. Aspirin is linked with an increased risk of heart failure. Yes. Aspirin, in this study, is associated with a 26% raised risk of heart failure in people with at least one predisposing factor for the condition. That's the finding of a study published today in the Journal of the European Society of Cardiology. This is the first study to report that among individuals with at least one risk factor for heart failure, those taking aspirin were more likely to subsequently develop the condition than those not using the medication. So, all right, that's important. Oh, and by the way, University of Nottingham showed that a plant-derived antiviral drug is effective at blocking highly infectious SARS-2 Delta variant. And that's good news. And uh, so we're interested in everything that can work, every drug that can work. And the study showed that a novel, natural antiviral drug, and that drug uh, was able to block... Viruses, including the SARS group, and it's called TG. That is, let me spell it for you T H A P S I G A R G I N. All right? T H A P S I G A R G I N, or short for TG. And it was recently discovered by the same group of scientists to block other viruses, including the original SARS too. It was just as effective at treating all the new newer SARS variants, including the Delta variant. So that's good news. And and that can just be one more thing that we can use. I'm Gary Nall. That's the latest in Health and Healing, broadcasting through our studios in New York City, where I'm in my home and animal sanctuary where we rescue and save animals that have been abused, neglected, and then get them back to health and happiness and joy and trust, and then find them a loving home for life. And I've been doing this my entire adult life, saved over 5,000 animals. And uh, and it's just a wonderful way to start the day, being able to bond with creatures, sentient creatures that have a soul, and... uh, to know that this is going to be a good day. And I'm just suggesting all of you, each day, look for something that is meaningful. But what I want to do, so I don't... I'm only going to give you a part of this, because we're going to go from this into the clip, because I definitely want to have these other audio-video clips shared with you today. But this this is about how they decided that John F. Kennedy... Was not someone that they trusted, could rely upon, and therefore was to be uh, negated. Uh, what was it? Um, Charlie Sheen in Apocalypse Now used a uh, set of euphemism about terminate with extreme prejudice instead of assassination, a new word, new term. Well, in 1954, John F. Kennedy stood up on the Senate floor to challenge the Eisenhower administration's support for the doomed French imperial war in Vietnam, foreseeing that this would be a short-lived war. He said, no, it would not be a short-lived war. In July 1957, John F. Kennedy once more took a strong stance, anti-war stance, against French colonialism, this time of France's bloody war against Algeria and the independence, the Algerian people were trying to seek from France. And boy, the French engaged in every type of dirty trick and war crime and crimes against humanity against the people of Algeria. And by the way, there's a documentary on this, and it's well worth seeing. You can go up and find about the French, uh, the French colonization of uh, Algeria and their fight for independence. And again, Eisenhower was found and his administration, on the wrong side of history. He was wrong on this. And rising on the Senate floor two days before America's own Independence Day, Robert uh, John F. Kennedy declared, "...the most powerful single force in the world today is neither communism nor capitalism, nor is it the uh, hydrogen bomb, nor the guided missiles." It is man's eternal desire to be free and independent. The great enemy of that tremendous force of freedom is called, for want of a more precise term, imperialism. And today, that means Soviet imperialism, and whether we like it or not, and though they are not to be equated, Western imperialism, is meaning the United States, and Great Britain, and France, and Italy, Thus, quote, The single most important test of American foreign policy today is how we meet the challenge of imperialism, what we do to further men's desire to be free. On this test, more than any other, this nation shall be critically judged by the uncommitted millions in Asia and Africa and actually watched by the still hopeful lovers of freedom behind the Iron Curtain. If we fail to meet the challenge of either Soviet or Western imperialism, then no amount of foreign aid, no aggrandizement of armaments, no new pacts or doctrines or high-level conferences can prevent further setbacks to our course and to our security. And in September 1960, the annual United Nations General Assembly was held in New York City, and that's where Fidel Castro and uh, and others came, and they stayed up in Harlem. Remember that? They stayed at the Shelburne Hotel in middle Harlem, and uh, and then Khrushchev stayed there. Didn't John F. Kennedy would have stay there? So this is just the beginning of a long article, and it's posted on FM. It shows you how the Dulles brothers, who were, at that time, under Eisenhower, they controlled the CIA, or what would become the CIA of the OSS. They controlled the State Department. They controlled our foreign policy. Behind them were the Harrimans, Avril Harriman and and the Rockefellers. So that whole group controlled virtually all of our foreign policy. And Kennedy was that young senator who stood up and fought back. But then again, at this time, in other parts of the world, remember? Remember it was... Patrice Lumumba, um, the first Congolese prime minister, gave a speech uh, that has become famous for his outspoken criticism of colonialism, and he spoke of his people and the struggle against the humiliating bondage that was forced upon them years before, filled with tears and fire and blood, and concluded vowing that we shall show the world what the black man can do when working in liberty, and we shall make uh, the the Congo the pride of Africa. And shortly after, uh, Lumumba also made clear that he wanted no part of war. He wanted no part of working with countries that were involved in keeping anyone under a doctrine, whether it's communists or or, uh, capitalists and we remember also what happened to him. That was the Dulles brothers who did all that. And they were the ones who said, you're the enemy, you're the enemy, you're the enemy. And then it was Kennedy that was the enemy. And all that before JFK became president. All that was before. That was the foundation upon which Kennedy had to be up against the Chiefs of staff who were against him, and the head of the CIA, who was against him, and all the people in the Washington Consensus that were against him. He doomed himself when he went against the establishment. Why am I sharing this with you? Because look at Afghanistan. Look at the tragedy. Look at the hundreds of thousands of people we left behind. Because the president wanted to make a political decision to get out so he can use that and brag, Oh, we got out. Yeah, and look at all the people we left behind, and look how you did it. And look at the terrorism that now exists. And look at the beheading of young girls who were athletics, uh, athletic participants. And look at how Pakistan—that you were giving billions of dollars under Obama's vice president in that administration to Pakistan, and Pakistan was anti-American all along, just taking our money—and they were they were uh, the sanctuary for Al Qaeda and Al Nusra and ISIS and then look at now who we've got against us because of our imperialism. So what Kennedy predicted is now coming true. And we have the same type of group behind the scenes at the National Security Agency, the CIA, and the major corporations who benefit from our involvement and continuing our hegemonic uh, desires in these other parts of the world. You see it with NATO, you see it circling uh, Russia, you see it circling China. So we're going to provoke a conflict, mark my words. <clears throat> and the mainstream media will support all of it without criticizing any of it. Just want to share that. Now, we're going to go to the debate between two people. Chris Como on CNN and Bill Maher.
1: Three words is the perfect sell. More Bill Maher. Uh, it's good to have you. And it's good for people to hear this. Um, it's kind of a, a resetting of the palate. There's a fancy word for that in big restaurants, but that's what you are. Um, we were talking about schools and how, boy, did that resonate as an issue in Virginia. The yep. Democrats didn't see it coming. Uh, you can explain it away as ignorance of what CRT is. Mm -hmm. Here's my problem with Mm -hmm. it, and I want to get your take. CRT means nothing to anybody. They don't know what the acronym stands for. It's really not taught anywhere. You're not
2: even saying the three words that it stands for, and people are already going CRT is... I don't like
1: it. I don't want it. Well, let's say what those words are. Critical race theory. Yeah. And the people on the left will mock the ignorance. They're too stupid to know. Here's the problem. Mm -hmm. They still get to vote for you. And feel overwhelms facts all the time in elections that's nothing new people and, vote on field and it's not a
2: phantom either that right. there's something going on in the schools that never went on before now i'm not in schools <laughs> i have no interaction with children whatsoever um but i do understand this issue because i read accounts from parents from educators from people and this is all over the country. If, when you say critical race theory, again, this is the, the, the binary situation we always find ourselves in in this country, if you say that on MSNBC, people think that's a great thing because they're <clears throat> finally teaching an honest history of racism in, a, in this country, which I know no one who is against that. I'm certainly not against that. I think, you know, I remember what my education was with American history. We learned about the Civil War. I mean, they mentioned racism. We understood slavery and Lincoln and blah, blah, blah. Um, But they didn't really go into it any more than gone with the wind goes into it. It was there, but you didn't feel it viscerally. Now we're doing that, and I think that's a good thing. People should understand that. That's different than teaching that racism is the essence of America. That's what people get upset about. Or involving children who are probably not old enough or sophisticated enough to understand
1: this very complicated issue with a very complicated history. So it's that you have families, and we saw this resonate in Virginia, Mm -hmm. uh, and I have people on all the time who reject this premise, but we just saw it play out, so it must be real to a lot of people, which is um, you want to make white kids feel badly about what happened before them and that their lives should be a function of making up for it. And I don't want that put on my kid. Yes, people are, kids are taught and sometimes separated into groups, oppressor and
2: oppressed. Again, does a kid even know what those words mean? Would they gravitate toward that if you hadn't told them? I mean, you're taking something that was getting better, race relations in America. And we, I think everyone recognizes, everyone right thinking in my view, that still a lot of work needs to be done. Remedial efforts need to be taken still. Racism is part of America. But I did a thing one night about progressophobia, which is a term Steven Pinker Mm -hmm. uh, coined, which means somehow liberals got afraid to acknowledge progress. You know, it's two thoughts in your head at the same time. You can acknowledge that we have made great progress on all the social issues. Uh, and, And yet there is still more work to be done. We're not saying mission accomplished. We're just saying, let's live in the year we're living in. You can't come up with good solutions unless you're realistic about what the problem is. I mean, it was only like 10 or 20 years ago that no state in America would vote for gay marriage. I mean, it was on the ballot like 35 times. Now it's the law of the land, and no one is against it. I mean, when I was a kid, I grew up in New Jersey, which is not a southern state. And it was a completely white town. Now, a vast majority of Americans want to live in a racially diverse neighborhood. That is a sea change just in my lifetime. Again, not mission accomplished, but can we just acknowledge
1: how far we've come and where we are right now? Mm. And the pushback becomes, well, it's just the truth. We're just telling them the truth, is that racism what? continues, it's systemic, it's just in everything around that. us. Um, but you have to be taught where it is everywhere because that's how we remedy it. And otherwise, you're just hiding from the truth.
2: <laughs> that's nuts. It's just, it's just silly. It's just virtue signaling.
1: Now, I, I, I mean. Here's the problem you say that all the time. Why aren't you concerned that whether it's HBO or whoever owns them in that minute or your <laughs> audience or some group <laughs> comes and says, Mars said too much. He's got to go. Why aren't you afraid <laughs> of that? They do it every week. When, I mean, <laughs> I take the show Friday. It that's
2: called on, Tuesday. Yes, I, exactly. Yeah, Friday night and Saturday, some people who haven't seen the show yet say to me, how'd the show go? I always say, if I haven't been canceled today, it went fantastic. And it was a giant success. Of course, But you don't they, change. They, no. They come after me every week for something. I mean, both sides, which I think is great. Maybe that's I, what saves you. I that have you the, have both sides coming after you. You know, and that's fairly new, because not because I changed. My politics have not changed. I'm an old school liberal. It's when I mean, we're talking about the race issue. They changed, not me. I was I was the old. We are should be moving toward a colorblind society where we don't see race. That's the old way to look at it. I think that's still the good way to look at it. That's how we win when it doesn't matter what your race is, the quality of your character, not the color of your skin. That's not wokeism. Wokeism. We have to see it everywhere. All the time. Mm. That's different. I don't know if that makes it better. But I am, for the first time, when I'm on the road now, playing to, very often, a politically mixed audience. That never happened. Ever. And I don't think it happens really hardly anywhere else in America.
1: Why? Do you think there's an increasing separation between I think about... real people and the people who are in power over them? I think there's a, a, a lot of old-school liberals
2: like me who don't like what's going on on the far of the left. I always keep, I keep saying, when you're doing something that sounds like a, a headline in The Onion, that's when you've gone too far. You know, land of Lincoln cancels Lincoln. That really happened. You know, they tore down Lincoln. Yeah. Lincoln isn't good enough for them. Seattle, the city council, voted to decriminalize crime. This is an Onion headline. You know, I saw one very recently. Maybe babies should vote. What do I you mean about the party of no common sense? New York uh, City.
1: They took down Thomas Jefferson from in front of City Hall. Yeah, you know, ACLU
2: official um, advocates banning a book. These are onion headlines, and yet this is where this party is, or I don't think that's where the party is. It's where the the faction that gets all the headlines, and again, it goes in the blue bin, and the act. act average voter sees that and attaches it you know there was a a, i think it was tommy tuberville the, the republican senator from alabama wanted to catch the democrats and he put defunding the police up for a vote it lost in the senate 99 to nothing no democrat voted for it but if you ask the average person are the democrats for defunding the police oh
1: yeah that's the disconnect that the democrats really better address dave chappelle and Senator Josh Hawley are two very different men uh, who are in the mix of what I think is the defining concern culturally about how we handle what we don't like. Mm. Let's take a break. I want to go through both of them with you and see what you see is the same, different, and if God helps
0: us, there is a solution. I know you're not looking. Interesting discussion, except I see that here is a classical liberal that many of us grew up as being, versus the modern liberal, who is a corporate liberal, who is a a corporate supporter, no matter how illiberal the policies, supporting racism, supporting in the disguise of anti-racism, supporting violence, supporting, supporting everything that destroys a society, identity politics. Interesting, whether you agree or disagree with any of it, we should be having open and honest and civil dialogue and discourse and debate on all the important topics that impact our lives. We, we've we been shut out of all that. Now we have massive massive censorship everywhere. where if you don't agree with the consensus, if you're not on board with those in power, then you have no right to a voice anywhere. And that's wrong. Now we're going to go to a clip from Iverson, talking about what happens when you intentionally hire 86,000 IRS agents to try to find that you're withholding some money and they want it. Kim, what's on your radar?
3: Well, what's on my radar is this scheme inside of Biden's Build Back Better agenda to beef up IRS tax collection to pay for the much needed social programs. They couldn't find the money anywhere else, apparently. Not in the bloated defense budget, not in savings they could have had from negotiating drug pricing with Big Pharma, nope. They instead intend to shake down struggling Americans for the cash. Now some of you might say, no, no, Kim, they're going to target the rich and corporations. Well, think of it this way. Remember Biden's 1994 crime bill when he claimed they'd be cleaning up the streets by targeting violent criminals and the actual result of beefing up law enforcement was mass incarcerations and increased sentencing for nonviolent offenders, which is the real legacy of that bill. So, yeah, probably going to be something like that. So let's break this down. Last week, the House passed Biden's $1.9 trillion Build Back Better plan, which includes a lot of things that I think are long overdue. Things like universal pre-K, low-cost insulin, paid family leave, expanded elderly care, among some other things. The House vote last week hinged on the CBO score coming out. Some moderate Democrats acted like they weren't going to vote for this bill unless they saw the score first. But even with the score coming out showing the bill would, in fact, add $367 billion to the nation's deficit, those moderate Democrats voted for it anyway. Now, for me, I don't really mind things adding to the nation's deficit if it's going to be an investment in the American people and in the nation's future. I think you have to spend money to make money. And sometimes the fruits of the investments are not seen for a decade or two or even three. And I also don't think making money should always be the goal. The goal of a strong, healthy, intelligent nation is a pretty good goal in and of itself and a matter of national defense. So I personally wouldn't pay too much attention to the CBO score on something like this. but. There are a lot of people in Congress, particularly conservatives, who think when the government spends money, they need to show how it will be paid for. The Biden administration's plan is to collect taxes, not raise taxes, mind you. So they're able to say, hey, we're not raising your taxes, don't worry. But what they will be doing is sending out its IRS bloodhounds to sniff for any loose change we might be owing to Uncle Sam. The idea is, to give the IRS $80 billion to hire 87,000 additional agents who will then audit Americans to collect what the Treasury estimates will be about billion in revenue. When the CBO score came out, claiming the Build Back Better agenda actually cost the nation $367 billion, that the IRS won't be able to collect as many taxes as the Treasury claims, many prominent Democrats and the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen herself went on the defense saying the CBO score was wrong, that the IRS will be in fact able to collect the $400 billion they anticipate. The CBO believes it will be difficult to go after wealthy Americans and corporations because they're armed to the teeth with accountants, tax attorneys and wealth managers who do an excellent job of shielding them from tax liability. As we recently saw with the release of the Pandora Papers, the rich don't evade taxes illegally. They legally are able to hide their wealth and shelter their assets. This isn't going to change. Making the rich pay their fair share has nothing to do with illegal tax evasion. It has to do with changing the tax code and eliminating loopholes. The current tax code is so complicated. Average Americans who don't have an army of wealth managers, accountants and tax attorneys are unable to take advantage of the same loopholes wealthy Americans are able to. That was until the gig economy flourished. Now we have fewer Americans working as W-2 employees and instead are W-9 contractors. As W-9 contractors, average Americans who normally would collect a paycheck with taxes already withheld are able to incorporate themselves and participate in the joy of tax write-offs. The problem is, The average W-9 contractor working in the gig, gig economy still doesn't have the resources to hire a plethora of tax attorneys' accountants to help them truly understand the complicated codes. They make mistakes, and that is likely who the IRS is going to be going after. The IRS knows it cannot easily win against a mega team of well-trained attorneys. They know those audits will take years to complete. So it'll be easier to send out letters to small business owners and gig workers demanding receipts instead. An average gig worker doesn't have a team of lawyers to defend them during an audit. So it's easy. The Biden administration and the treasury already showed their hand when they intended on going after bank accounts with gross deposits of $600 or more. They dropped that scheme after too many Americans became outraged at the blatant overreach. But they showed us they weren't really going after wealthy millionaires and billionaires when they were targeting bank accounts with a few hundred bucks in them. The IRS doesn't need 87,000 extra agents to go after the 630 billionaires in the country. They already have agents for that. As Elon Musk pointed out, The IRS already has dedicated audit teams for high net worth individuals. The doubling of staff is for everyone else. Now, look, we're being asked by the Biden administration to just take their word for it. They don't have to prove to us that they'll only be going after the rich. They can do whatever they want with those extra agents and resources once they get them, just like they did with the 1994 crime bill. The question is, do you trust them? I know many of us want to take the nice things that they're promising us in these bills, but what's the price you're willing to pay? How much enhancement and expansion of law enforcement are you willing to support in order to get these programs? If they want to audit so badly, maybe they should demand they audit the Pentagon and whittle their budget down to pro- for, for these programs rather than shaking us down instead. Now, I want to point out that a lot of people have been saying, uh, well, you know, if you have been paying your taxes, you have nothing to worry about. I'm hearing this a lot as kind of the counter to this, they're gonna be just going after regular gig working in small business Americans. And oh, well, you know, but look, um, does that mean that I should just allow the FBI into my house to, to to search and seize because I don't have anything to worry about? I'm not a criminal. I mean, this expansion I think should be alarming for everyone. Again,
0: do you want to have every single bank transaction reviewed by the Internal Revenue Service? with the intent that somehow you're doing something wrong, and they want to find you some amount of money? No. So, that's what we're dealing with. Let them know you're not liking this. Let your legislator know not to accept this. Also, to round out our program today, again, please download and share with everyone that interview with Robert Kennedy Jr. about looking into the truth about Anthony Fauci, If you read the book, and it's got over a thousand footnotes and references, and it's been vetted, and his publisher is my publisher, I have my own imprint with Skyhorse, uh, they are meticulous in checking all the facts, especially something this controversial. Because if he was misspoken about any of the people he's naming, and he names all these people, they'd sue him into oblivion. But no one's going to sue him. No one. Because... Uh, he's telling the truth, and truth is his own defense. So, watch the video, share it with everyone. Now, also, the vaccine adverse event reporting system data, the government's own figures, reveals 50 times, 50 times more ectopic pregnancies following the vaccines, the COVID vaccines, uh, than all other vaccines for the past 30 years combined. And yet, they excluded pregnant women from the study on the vaccines, but now are telling vaccinated uh, women who are pregnant to take the vaccine, that you know, this should stop that immediately. This is insane. This violates every, every basis of, of ethics. Also, we want to thank Health Impact News for doing some outstanding original reporting, while the latest data dump in the government's Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System showed 2,620 fetal deaths, which are more fetal deaths than are reported following all vaccines for the past 30 years. Uh, That is uh, tracked by the Barrett system. Um, they're not doing anything to stop it, and that's bad for the. Uh, that's bad for the pregnant woman not to understand that. Also, finally, there's a massive study revealing editorial bias and nepotism in biomedical journals. This is from the University of Rennes, and they say that that scientific journals are expected to consider research manuscripts dispassionately and without favor. But a study published in the Journal of PLOS Biology reveals that a subset of journals may be exercising considerable bias and favoritism. And they looked at all these journals, and they found that that there's a sample of 5,468 biomedical journals indexed, in the National Library of Medicine, and their results reveal that in most journals, publications are distributed across a large number of authors, as one might hope, but unfortunately a lot of these authors are themselves biased, and therefore their bias, individual bias, can change what comes out as objective or subjective, honest or dishonest. And we've seen that. We saw that this year the American Medical Association Journal that it was attacking hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. The British Medical Journal, The Lancet, the New England Journal of Medicine, all of them engaged in absolute, unequivocal bias. So shame on the journals themselves, shame on them accepting their money exclusively from, almost exclusively from pharmaceutical companies. The very people who are selling the drugs that the articles are written about are the very ones who then are getting the peer reviewers to publish false articles attacking safe drugs and safe supplements that could save lives if used early, and promoting toxic drugs and toxic, unproven safe and effective vaccines in in their journals. And yet doctors go to the journals, oh, if they say hydroxychloroquine is a killer, no, it caused some deaths when it was used at 10,000 milligrams, and they should have known it at the ends of life. If they used it at 200 milligrams, the 400 milligrams, it would have been saving lives, and there are hundreds of studies proving it. So they who selected that? The people who wrote the article. Who should have known that? The people who were the peer reviewers of those articles. It just shows you how utterly corrupt science has become. And I'm just about a week away from finishing my newest documentary, at least in its rough cut. And I've worked for over two years on it. The corruption of science. And it'll go into detail. And I'm just telling you now that even now they're showing the corruption of much of science. That's our program today. Thank you all for watching and listening and sharing. Have a nice day.